welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute, and today we have the great pleasure of being joined by Don Pesci, a well-known political commentator from uh, Red Notes from a Blue State. And Don, we're delighted to have you with us today. Uh, It's wonderful being with you, Carol. Well, thank you so much. And uh, as you know, uh, we are dying to get your insights about uh, the recent elections and what they mean going forward for Connecticut. You know, we've done a little bit uh, last week, a little bit of uh, retrospection about, you know, what it all meant. And of course, we're interested in any insights you care to share in that department. But what we're also trying to think about is the road ahead and what these outcomes mean for the people of Connecticut in the next legislative term and over, sure, over the next two years or whatever you care to to share with us. And so um, I guess we might as well start with a a little backward glance, Don. Were you surprised by the outcome of the elections here in Connecticut? Uh, No, I wasn't. I think a lot of people uh, had had unrealistic uh, expectations based on some of the polling uh, that had occurred, I think that polling was accurate. Uh, if you look at the lists of um, uh, areas of concern, I think the economy was at the top of most lists, and it still is. Uh, abortion, for example, was a little bit lower down. Uh, so something happened there, and I think what happened was Maybe people uh, became very, very confused at all the chatter and just reverted to their normal uh, normal uh, ballot uh, habits. Uh, that could be one explanation of, of uh, what happened. They weren't prepared to, to, uh, to operate on the, uh, on the their own uh, perceptions and answers. Uh, to polling, uh, to polling, to people who are polling them. Uh, I think in the future for Connecticut uh, doesn't look uh, too promising because the Democrats um, are in still in control of the uh, General Assembly. They have been for uh, about maybe um, just to pick a figure, probably 30 years and more. Um, I think that uh, Lamont uh, looks uh, good uh, on uh, camera and he appears good uh, uh, with his uh, messaging, but I really don't think he's a creative uh, he's a creative governor. Most of the uh, most of the shots I believe are being uh, are being uh, um, told to him by the uh, by the two chief. Uh, uh, legislative uh, leaders in the General Assembly, that would be Looney and Matt. Well, let's break it down a little bit. And, you know, there's always a chance as well, however, that that Governor Lamont has signaled that he isn't necessarily interested in staying for a third term. And, you know, you never know when a governor's going to decide that he cares about having a legacy and cares about actually what's doing doing what's right for the state. And um, and Governor Lamont at least has shown some some acquaintance with reality in terms of economics. I mean, he has he has refused to go over the cliff with the most extreme elements of the Democratic Party. 
Um, and so it's possible that he is at least accessible to the voice of reason on on some things. Um, so so perhaps there's some ray of hope uh, in terms of him um, being able to um, be reached when it comes to not exactly um, you know going with, for example, Martin Looney on some of the the, the more excessive tax increase ideas, wouldn't you say? Well, I I think it's going to depend on uh, how much people like Martin Looney and Matt Ritter uh, have uh, learned from uh, the responses of Connecticut's uh, citizens to what has actually happened economically and culturally in Connecticut. That's what I think. Uh, the, the elections are a real distortion medium, in my opinion, uh, because what you, they... Uh, what do you mean by that, Don, a distortion medium? Well, you, you, you find during elections politicians saying things and messaging certain groups of uh, people uh, in order to either get votes or money. Um, so to, to winning an election is a very, very different thing than governing a state. So what you're interested in primarily, I think, is if for the future is how will these people actually govern the state of Connecticut? Is that right? Yep, because that's what that's what Yankee Institute cares about. Good policy sound governance and um, making sure people here are, are free to thrive and, and make their own decisions and not have the government's hand in their pockets 24-7. Right. Let me just give you a couple of examples that will illustrate what I mean. You and I know what inflation is. In classic definition of, definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. And that that's been the classic definition for a long time. So if you ask yourself, why are there too few goods? Uh, you'll have to say that there are too few goods because the COVID epidemic simply shut down a lot of businesses and progressive ideas are not, in, are, progressives are not interesting, interested primarily in, uh, in, having a, a kind of economic situation in which all people prosper, especially millionaires. Um, so um, th there's that. People, people during campaigns intentionally mislead other people about what reality is, what, what inflation really is, what a recession really is. After the elections, things, things get very different very, very quickly. So are there people in the General Assembly, are there moderate Democrats, not progressives in the General Assembly uh, that can orient themselves properly towards, towards, uh, an econo towards a Connecticut uh, economy that actually makes people prosperous? I think there are. I mean, I think there's a lot of hope there, and there are there are such uh, people in the General Assembly. Most Republicans are oriented in that direction. Uh, there are still a lot of moderate Democrats in the General Assembly, and it's possible to appeal uh, appeal. To, it's always possible to appeal to people rationally. 
to show them the data, to show them the real condition of the state of Connecticut, and to require them, uh, to ask of them that they make ideological sacrifices in order to advance the prosperity of Connecticut citizens. So that's hopeful. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's possible. Um, I think the uh, the uh, news media in the state of Connecticut can play an important part in this role. Uh, there are some people in the news media who really do know what inflation is, who really do know what recession is. And I think that uh, Democrats who continue to operate as if they were campaigning rather than governing will feel some kind of pushback from this sort of media. Right. And and that's where I'd like to remind everyone you can always check out Connecticut Inside Investigator because we, you know, the the guys that are running that always are, are looking to hold politicians of whatever party, uh, both parties, no party, third parties accountable for what they promise and what they say. And it's important to have media that does that. I think so many problems in our country, Don, are uh, created when you have media that basically abdicates its responsibility to hold the powerful to account, don't you? Oh, abdicate is exactly the right word. It's, this is one of my bugbears about Connecticut media um, is that they should be, uh, you know, in a healthy state, the media should be a contrarian media. In other words, it should be hunting for, uh, for problems that, uh, that are caused by politicians and holding the politicians to account for those problems. That's right. And so, um, I, you know, it seems as though that's very important, but uh, generations of um, journalism schools seem to have uh, been churning out activists instead of investigators. And as a result, you know, you get people who are ideologically aligned with the people they cover, and intentionally or not, it just leads to a monoculture and blind spots. And, uh, and then you just don't get the coverage you need that really inform people and give them the information they need. And, and that was uh, part of why Yankee Institute thought it was so important to create Connecticut Inside Investigator and then just leave it to do whatever the people who are in charge of it day to day want to do with it. Um, because, you know, you want to have, in my view, um, ideologically mixed so that you don't have those blind spots. You have people everywhere who are looking at everything and holding everyone up to scrutiny, because that's the only way you can have a functioning democratic republic, in, in my view, where you have every politician of every stripe subjected to scrutiny. Yes, uh, you're, 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 what you've just said is very important, and it's actually necessary for the continuation of, of Republican uh, of Republican government, but the site that you mentioned just put up, uh, you know, a piece on the budget uh, on the budget surplus that I thought was uh, was really important. Uh, the budget surplus is is massive. It's a massive budget uh, surplus. Uh, the governor Governor Lamont has said, well, you know, we need this kind of a surplus because a recession is bearing down on us right around uh, the corner. Uh, but if you know what a recession is, if you know what debt is, if you know really how how large the uh, Connecticut uh, Connecticut uh, uh, debt is, uh, you're going to understand that the only way that you can uh, that you can dig yourself out uh, from a debt rubble 
is by cutting spending, cutting spending. And if I ask you, how many times have you seen the words cut spending in news reports about the budget? I think you're going to say not often. (laughs) No, because it's not politically popular. But, you know, the fact is that if you look through Connecticut's budget, it's unrealistic to think that there's nowhere that our state government could trim, um, you know, there's nowhere to trim spending. Uh, the, the budget is a document that is larded with, with new spending, with automatic spending increases. And so much of it has to do with the power, as Yankee Institute often talks about, with the power of the government unions. And if we had a systemic issue in our state that simply has to be addressed but won't be uh, until there is, you know, a, a real shift in the in the balance of, of power in the state, I think it has to do with the government unions and the unbalanced relationship they hold uh, with, you know, the people in political power in the state. Because that's the way that all kinds of unnecessary spending gets simply built into the state budget the same way that fat gets marbled into a really good steak. And it's very hard to find it. It's very hard to excise it. And as a result, you're just locked into a system where, um, where all of this becomes a part of the of you know it's it's almost it's non-discretionary and this non-discretionary spending ends up occupying more and more and more of the budget so that all the discretionary spending which is a lot of the stuff that all of us thinks about as the stuff that that state governments really supposed to be doing you know the aid for um, the aid for for disabled people and people who genuinely can't work and you know people who are genuinely struggling and need help um, all of that is the discretionary spending and that all becomes a, a smaller and smaller and smaller percentage of the budget unless again taxes are raised because all of these automatic spending increases and salary increases and all these other things are just built in and automatically increase. And that's where I think we get into so much of our problem here, don't you, Don? I do. Yeah, sure. Discretionary spending. Uh, you know, you had Chris, Chris Powell on a while back, and I listened to that podcast just only because, uh, you know, he's, he's one of those uh, journalists who is a contrarian journalist. And uh, he, he's not afraid to say, to say things the way they uh, the way they are. But what he says about that is, uh, you know, I, if you have fixed spending, what you have to, the real solution to fixed spending is to unfix spending. Uh, so you should have, uh, you should have a legislator, legislator constitutionally obligated to, uh, to um, uh, control every dollar that comes in and every dollar that goes out. Uh, that legislature uh, should uh, be able to review all spending at every budget uh, cycle. And uh, so the answer to fixed spending is to unfix it. You know, you just unfix the fixed spending. And uh, you hold a legislator, you hold people in the legislature responsible for taxation and spending. Once you do that, you have, uh, you have the rudiments of a real uh, a real Republican, small R Republican government. And this is absolutely necessary for the health of the state. Uh, 
So Chris Paul has been on that for a long, long time. I know you, you've been on this for a long, long time. And everything that you just said is absolutely, is absolutely correct. Let me just jump back one second to, to say something about, uh, about the media uh, again. I, I think uh, there are two elements here. And uh, one is ideology. Uh, you know, if we ask, uh, is the media in the state of Connecticut ideologically disposed uh, towards, uh, towards uh, Democrats and even towards progressives and towards the spending of flatus, we have to answer yes, that's true. I think that's true. But we also have to remember that the news business is a business. It's a business like any other business. So when you ask who are the clients in the business, in the news business, the answer you come up with are Democrats. Why are they the clients? Because they're in power. Uh, they've been in power for the past 30 years. In cities, they've been in power for more than 50 years, and we see the real-world consequences of a, of, of a sheltered political uh, uh, operation in the cities. They're crumbling. The cities are crumbling. The it's cultural disintegration in cities is just, is, is just ab abnormal. It's totally abnormal. Uh, the more you give, the more you finance unemployment, the more unemployment you're going to get. So people have to people have to look at these things, and they have to be able to say rationally, what are we doing right, and what are we doing wrong? Uh, you 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 can't make those kinds of decisions if you imprison yourself in an ideological box. And you know the whole idea that. It isn't necessarily um, compassionate to continue to subsidize uh, a, a way of life that is imprisoning people in a cycle of poverty and dysfunction and distress. Um, you know, that's what's so heartbreaking is when you see the, the, the school systems and all of the sort of dysfunction that's being enabled by what our cities have become. This isn't helping anyone. And anyone who really cares about these people, who each one of them, I mean, each one of them are one of God's children, and they're being treated by their own city government like they don't matter. Um, I don't understand who can continue to vote for or support um, the, the, the politicians that are enabling this to continue. Um, but apparently people do. Well, you know, I remember attending an event that you sponsored, that the Yankee Institute sponsored, uh, that, was, uh, that, was, uh, uh, con that concentrated on Milton Friedman's idea of a dollar following a child. And at that meeting, there was a representative there uh, that, uh, uh, that, that was responsible for the Amistad Academy uh, in Connecticut, a right. hugely, hugely successful uh, uh, educational uh, enterprise uh, the, uh, th that that academy was. After that presentation, I asked that person, I said, you know, are you going to be expanding uh, schools in Connecticut? She said, no, no. we're going to be expanding schools in Rhode Island, and we're going to be expanding schools in New York. I said, why not Connecticut? And her answer was that, that when 
the legislature set up charter schools, they underfinanced charter schools by 17%. Right. So, you know, we, 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 the, the answer to bad schools is good schools. How do you get to good schools? You, you make sure that the dollar, the educational dollar follows the student so that, um, so that you in, so that you build into uh, a pedagogical system, uh, a, a system of rewards and punishments. Precisely. And that's what we do at the college level with Pell Grants and everything else. Right. Uh, and there's none of this sort of entitlement you see in on the part of administrators in the K through 12 level where they say, oh, well, public funds should support public schools. Well, I mean, that's not the way it works anywhere else in, in the college area or anything else. Things increase in, in, um, in excellence when competition is allowed to flourish. And, right. and, and it's nonsense, and it's to benefit teachers' unions, not children. And, That's you know, right. in the end, our schools are supposed to be for children, not for the benefit of the adults who work at them. That's right. And uh, and right. so, you know, Don, as we get into our last couple minutes, um, one of the things that I'm curious about your thoughts about and one of the things I think we're going to need to be watching is the fact that, you know, we've seen a lot of the mischief and a lot of the, the sort of distortions uh, that, that can come about as a result of early voting um, in some of these other states. Now, Connecticut has just given um, the green light to the legislature to start working on early voting in Connecticut. And uh, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share as we sort of wrap up? Yes, I do. Uh, in any system, if you increase complexity, you increase the possibility of fraud and corruption. Because fraud and corruption exist in the intercesses of complex organizations. The simpler the voting process, the less susceptible it will be to manipulation. That's my thought. And uh, it's, it's also my thought about government in general. You know, the simpler government is, the simpler the solutions to the pro solution to the problem is, the more effective it will be. Well, I think it's something for us to definitely be keeping an eye on. And I'm so grateful to you, Don, for taking some time to share your thoughts and your insights with us. Um, I hope you'll come back again. Oh, I'll be happy to come back anytime you can. You you see you feel that you uh, want to talk to me. That's it's a pleasure talking to you always. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, that's Don Pesci, everyone. For, uh, Red notes from a blue state. And uh, we're grateful to everyone who's joined us today, and we hope you'll be back with us again. This is Carol Platt-Liebel, president of Yankee Institute. Thanks for joining us on this edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.